and uh, it's it's an honor to be speaking to you this morning uh, from here. And uh, let's see how this one goes. So, good morning, everyone. Um, again, it's an honor standing here to deliver the sermon to you. Um, for those who may not know me so well, my name is Danny Kim. I'm uh, I'm one of the worship leaders here, and I'm also one of the elders here. And uh, let's, uh, I don't think we prayed before, so let's pray before we start. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time to gather together. <clears throat> we are grateful for, for all the things that you have done. And most of all, Lord, now as we try to digest this long psalm, the, the message that you have given us today, uh, please help us to open our hearts to you. Um, help us to be uh, to to be surrendered uh, in your in your presence, God. Uh, please unarm us. Um, help our hearts to be receiving of your word and of your grace. And help me to speak your words and not mine. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So, uh, as you may know, uh, psalms are often thought of as worship songs or poems that uh, people of God wrote down to declare what God had done for them. And it expresses the joy, majesty, the awesomeness of encountering God or, or walking with God. Or it sometimes expresses an honest heart that just pours out some of the deepest anguish um, or suffering to God uh, while seeking comfort and strength. And so today's psalm, um, I believe the title has tell of all his wondrous work. And uh, when we read the context of the psalm, it, it displays a lot of what miracles and wonders God had done for the people of Israel, starting from the patriarchal Abraham and to his son Isaac, and then Jacob, and then going into the accounts of Joseph, and then a whole lot on the events of the Exodus, where Israel was escaping from Egypt. Um, and as I studied more and more on this passage, I began to realize that it, it also lets us uh, in on a topic that is greatly essential in leading a growth-filled Christian life. And it's almost like talking about... Um, how to block shots when we're talking about hockey, how to eat healthy, or how to eat healthy and exercise when we're trying to lead healthy lives. Uh, this topic is important in how how do we lead a good Christian life, and this topic here uh, is about praise and worshiping God. And so, worship is essential. Uh, it's essential in a person's walk with God. And this morning, I want us to reflect on a couple of things here uh, when we try to digest this long psalm. Um, a, I'd like us to reflect on what is worshiping God, and B, why is worshiping God relevant to us? So let's dive in. So we're going to read, again, uh, verses 1 through 5 of the psalm, and it begins, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. 
Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. And remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. The first thing the psalmist says is give thanks to the Lord. And being thankful allows us to be humble by reflecting on God's great deeds for us and all the miracles that he has done for us. And we cannot begin to draw near to God or near his presence to worship him if we don't start here. The starting point is in gratitude and in humbleness. And this will be point number one in your outline. Um, You have outline in your bulletin, and it's wonderful to fill it out. Number one, worship begins with gratitude towards God. It is said in James chapter 4, verse 6, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And in fact, if we read more from James chapter 4, it's clear that God opposes the worldly attitude. He opposes a proud heart, a heart driven by self-love or fleshly passion or covetousness. And the author of this psalm starts from the basic in verse 1, which is give thanks to the Lord. And for us to draw near to God, to near his presence and declare his greatness, it lets us know that the underlying tone must be in giving thanks to God and having your heart set on gratitude. So the psalmist then lists some specific actions of worshiping God. And we read singing his praise, glorying in his name, seeking his strength and presence continually. And so from this, we come to point number two. We should worship God privately, corporately, and publicly. And so here at Mercy Hill, uh, we sing together just as we've done right now uh, as one body of Christ, songs that tell of how great God is and how good he is to us, uh, the redeeming love of Jesus our Lord. But is singing praise in synchronized fashion the only form of true worshiping? And I say that's, that's not true. The list that the author says in verses 2 through 5 embodies many forms of worshiping God. And this includes worshiping done here in church community, and that is worshiping during service or community groups, but also worship done individually when we're all alone. And this is through prayerfully seeking God, spending time reading the scripture, and just having the quiet time with God. And in our passage today, we're reminded to engage in both forms regularly. So individual, individually worshiping Jesus by seeking his presence and strength daily, and also gathering together to worship Jesus by declaring all the good deeds that he has done in our lives through song or in our conversation with each other. And this is done here publicly for everyone to see. So if that is what worshiping God is, let's now look at the why. Why is it relevant for us? And it's relevant in in that it counteracts a spiritual disease we all time to time suffer from when we don't worship God regularly. And this is forgetting about God. And this leads to point number three in your outline here, 
our sinful nature makes us forget God and his promises. And to dive into this point, uh, we'll start by reading verses 6 through 11. And here it says, O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are all in the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. And so we see uh, Abraham and Jacob being mentioned in verse 6 here. And when we hear about these two names, um, I don't know about you, but I generally think of two biblical individuals who I normally connect them with having model faith. They're like the role model of, of our Christian faith. And Abraham, you know, he was willing to sacrifice his own son Isaac on the altar at, at God's command. And Jacob, you know, he was anointed to be the father of the 12 tribes of Israel uh, from where Jesus finds his lineage from. So they they come across to us as people with great pillars of faith uh, in, in the scriptures. Um, but when I examine their lives closely, and, and we're going to examine this together here, we find that both Abraham and Jacob, we find the underlying humanness to them and the sinfulness that they have, which is common to all of us here, to all humans. And we find the same sinful nature in them as we find it in us. And we're going to see that here. Um, just going to read a story to you really quickly from Genesis chapter 12. So in Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham out of his homeland. And he calls him to go to Canaan, the promised land. And God promises Abraham that Canaan will be his for possession. And also he says that... Uh, and this is God saying to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. So this is God promising protection in Abraham's journey. However, we find Abraham confronted with a problem when he arrives in the land of Canaan. As soon as he lands there, he's confronted with famine. So there's no food. And when faced with this real adversity and trial, Abraham forgets that Canaan was a land promised by God. And so he chooses to do what any man with common sense would do for their family. He looks around and tries to see where food is. And he notices that the land of Egypt has food and it's prosperous. So he decides to go there. And when he goes to Egypt, he's confronted with another trial. And it reads in chapter uh, Genesis chapter 12, verses 11 to 13, and I'm just going to paraphrase so that it's shorter. Abraham says, says to Sarah, his wife, I know how beautiful you are, and I'm afraid that the Egyptians will kill me because they want to get their hands on you. So let's pretend, Sarah, you're my sister, so that I'm safe. So that's what Abraham says to his wife. And eventually what happens is Pharaoh of Egypt, the king of Egypt, tries to take Sarah, uh, Abraham's wife, 
to be his wife. And God had to intervene to rescue Abraham because God had other plans for Abraham. And for, his, for him and his offspring, God had a divine plan. And so fear for his life set in. And Abraham forgets the promises that God had made to him. And the promises of protection and guidance, he completely forgot. And he chose to, do, uh, to take up matter to his own hand and complicated things. Now, later on in Abraham's life, uh, after all the glorious events that Abraham had with God in his walk with God, so for example, his ordeals with his nephew Lot, uh, the encounter with uh, God-like king Melchizedek, the great covenant that God declares for Abraham, uh, saying that your descendants will be like the stars in the sky, witnessing cities like Sodom and Gomorrah burning down in, in flame uh, through the hand of God. After all these wonders that Abraham had witnessed, we find that in Genesis chapter tw uh, 20 here, that he does the same thing. Pretend you're my sister, Sarah, because I'm afraid that this king's going to kill me. And this was King Abimelech in the land of Gerar. And same thing happens. The king tries to take Sarah to be his wife, and God had to intervene through a dream. So even after all the experiences that Abraham had firsthand, uh, he had a tendency to forget God's promises and protection and had reverted to his own ways of protecting himself, taking matters to his own hand. Now with Jacob, his, uh, the, you know, Jacob being his grandson, I'm just going to briefly note down that he was a heel grabber the, the moment he was born. Um, Jacob means heel grabber. And so we find that Jacob, he's always trying to manipulate things. And this we can see when even after having a dream where angels were going up and down the ladder, and Jacob hears God saying to him that, that he, will, he will promise protection and, and blessing for Jacob in his journey. Jacob wakes up from that dream, and he immediately prays, Okay, God, so if you do that, I will do this for you. And he goes into this kind of contractual relationship with God. He also wrestles with God later on, saying that I will not let go of you until you bless me, knowing that if he doesn't get some sort of palpable blessing from, from this God-like person that he was wrestling with, he knows that he's going to die from his older brother, whom he had stolen the birthright long time ago, and he's angry about that. So the point here that I'm, that I'm trying to make here is not to be picky about the biblical character's flaws and shortcomings, um, but I want to highlight that even in these people that we read about, there's a common disease that, that we also may suffer from, and this is spiritual amnesia, the tendency for us to forget who God is, to forget what God has done for us in the past, and our tendency for us to slowly forget about God's promises, which lead, for, for us, it leads us to sinning against God or against our neighbor. And it also inhibits us from growing in our faith. So point number four is simply this. Worshiping God is the antidote for spiritual amnesia. And so praising God and seeking his presence daily 
allow us to counteract against spiritual amnesia by reminding us that, one, he is Lord, our God, and two, he remembers his covenant forever. So he is called the Lord with a capital L-O-R-D. I think that's okay. <laughs> so in our scripture, we see that Lord is mentioned here. And the Lord, it means that he is almighty and that he rules meticulously in all parts of our lives and that he has control of every little aspect uh, of our universe. So that is what it means to be the Lord, not a lowercase Lord, but the Lord who controls everything. And he also remembers his covenant forever, as it is written in verse 8. It says that he remembers for a thousand generations. So no words of his will ever return to him empty, or none of his promises uh, will not, won't come back to him empty, and it will always come to fruition. So we can and should be rooted securely in this, in this fact that there's no one better to protect us and guide us than God. And to guard ourselves from forgetting this fact, we should engage uh, daily in forms of worship, uh, to be in His presence and to seek His guidance and to be in His glory, glory daily so that we can face hardship in our daily lives while walking with God. I'm going to read verses 12 through 15. And it says here, When there were few in number, they being the people of Israel, when they were few in number and of little account and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another, uh, he allowed no one to oppress them, and he rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. And so when we read these few verses here, uh, we can see that God protected the meek and the few people of Israel in their time of great need. And we can take hope in this and be rest assured of God's protection for us, his people, today. More specific examples are listed afterwards and through verse 16 all the way through the end, um, listing all the wondrous, wondrous miracles that God has done. And you can see how meticulous God was in, in bringing his people through the history of events there. We can see that Joseph is mentioned in these latter parts of the scripture. And it says that Joseph was sent ahead, that he was sent by God for his people. And it's funny because when we read the events in Genesis, the accounts of Joseph, he was, actually, he was actually sold as a slave by his own brothers to Egypt because of jealousy. And that somehow worked towards the events of, and it, it leads into the events of Israel uh, exodusing out of Egypt. So we see how his mighty work, um, it's displayed, and, and the passage reminds us that, and this is point number five, even in hardship and in our own shortcomings, God is able to make good on his promises. It shows us how he is able to guide us 
uh, despite the shortcomings and the flaws that we have in our characters, despite the constant doubting and forgetting and fearing that we might have, and the sinfulness that we have, God still worked all things towards fulfilling his promises of bringing the people of God to a promised land, training them to become a people of faith, and ultimately preparing a family lineage for our Messiah, Jesus Christ, who comes from the branch of Judah, son of Jacob. And so God still works in us in this way, meticulously controlling and guiding our lives towards our, spirit, our spiritual promised land as we walk in faith in him. Now, we're going to go to point number six here. And it reads, sometimes it is difficult to worship. And thus far, all the points that I've made so far, um, it's when we consider the ideal circumstances. But life is uh, hardly ideal, as many of you can witness. And in fact, we encounter all sorts of ups and downs in our lives, whether it be disease or, or, or family members struggling, um, financial troubles, relationship, whatever it might be. And, and these ups and downs, it triggers our emotion to sway like waves. And this will also make us to sometimes worship so passionately and feverishly, and other times it can just bring us down, and down and so low that we just simply don't have the strength to worship God, or even have the willingness to seek God's presence. In Psalm 105, verses 16 through 22, we can read about the story of Joseph, and... Um, it's only seven verses to highlight what had happened, but we can glimpse into the roller coaster of a ride that is the life of Joseph and how God had pulled him through. It says, God has summoned a famine in the land and that he had sent the man ahead of them. Joseph was sent by God in the form of being sold as a slave by his own brothers. His feet was fettered and shackled in irons. And the point of view of Joseph um, as a human being, I'm not so sure if, uh, if Joseph was always, if it was always easy for him to be thankful for God, be in a worshiping mood of God. I'm not so sure if it was easy for him to praise God when, and, and beat spiritual amnesia when he was accused wrongfully of, of being a, a, a rape, rapist of Potiphar's wife, the master that he was serving in Egypt. I'm not so sure uh, when he was repeatedly ignored by the dungeon master of all the good dreams that he, has, he had um, that, that read, it must have been very frustrating for him. And in that human's point of view, I'm not so sure if it was so easy for him to lift his arms and praise God in that moment. But there is something that Joseph did that we ought to follow his example of, and that is that he held on to God with whatever strength that he had left in him, whatever motivation that was left in him, he actually held on to God. And it reads, and it reads that uh, in, 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 Genesis, in, in the book of Genesis that the Lord was with Joseph 
and he showed him steadfast love. So my final point here is this. God's grip on us is infinitely stronger than our grip on him. And I'm going to end here with a personal story um, to highlight this point. So it was around, around the end of 2013, um, my wife Haywon and I uh, only had one kid then, uh, Jiu. And around November, we were pregnant again, and we were expecting another kid. Um, and so we were really happy at, at the prospect of having more kids. Um, not so much now, but back then, we were happy to have more kids. Uh, and everything looked dandy, and, and everything looked so exciting. Um, but sadly, uh, December 20th uh, was the day. Uh, I was at work, and it was a very snowy day. It was one of the first snowstorms that we, we were pretty much getting regularly now. Um, I get a phone call from Heiwan, and, and she says that she needs to go to the hospital right away. And that it seemed to her that it looks like it's going to be a miscarriage. And sure enough, that entire day, I mean, that, that day still is kind of a blur to me. But I remember um, somehow I got home through the snowy traffic, and somehow I got my wife to the car, and somehow we were at Surrey Memorial ER. And we waited about four or five hours. And eventually, I remember being consoled by, the, uh, by a very young ER doctor, who I don't think was even married. He was trying his best to comfort us as we heard the news that we had a miscarriage. And he told us something about along the lines of, oh, it happens all the time. It, you know, it's like one-third of pregnancy can end like that at that time. Um, now, even in, so in that period of time, um, it's still a pretty grim moment for me. Uh, and in that time, I had a very different outlook on a, on a, on a, on a specific worship song that, that we... I think we sang it last week, um, Blessed Be Your Name. And in that song, uh, towards the end, you know, we, we sing, you give and take away. You give and take away felt so differently to me at that moment because it was mainly taking away. And it was mainly just questioning, you know, how can this horrible experience be any good for me? Now, in that horrible experience, through it, uh, it allowed me to understand a couple of things here. Uh, it allowed me to understand what it is to be just held by God. And also in times when I didn't feel like God was any closer, it made me realize that he actually is. In a moment where I felt like there's an anti-God sphere around me and that nothing is going through, I truly learned that he never abandons and he never forgets. Like our scripture says, he is Lord. He remembers his covenant forever. And yes, he did take away the unborn child, but then he gave two more later and here we are. As Psalm 51 says, and this is David saying, the sacrifices of God 
are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise these things. So for us, uh, we must strive to daily remind ourselves to seek his presence and his strength, and we must actively combat spiritual amnesia no matter where we are in our place because he has ways to hold on to us. Even when our strength is depleted, he still hangs on. His grip is infinitely stronger. And our tendency to forget, we must combat daily by seeking his presence and worshiping God, both privately and publicly. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for your word today. And I thank you for who you are, God. You are our Lord. You remember our co- the covenant that you have made with us through your son, Jesus Christ that you will never abandon us, no matter what our circumstances might be, whether it's in sickness or in financial crisis or, or family issues, whatever it might be, God, that you remember us, that there, there is no such thing in the world that can separate, separate us from you, and that you work all things towards the good, good of those, those that you love, and we know that you love us, so dearly lord as we come to the table to to be reminded of your your flesh being torn and your blood being spilled for our our souls or help us to give thanks to you once again and if we haven't lord help our hearts to come before you clean and that we might be in the right place to worship you again god and we we pray this in your son jesus christ his holy name Amen. And so at this time, we're going to have some...